0: Hello, my name is Celia Hirsch, and I'm a volunteer with Igniting Change, an intentionally tiny but outcome-mighty organisation based in Melbourne, Australia. Igniting Change has walked alongside many individuals and organisations making a difference, usually working with very thorny issues in decidedly unsexy areas. It's unlike any charity you may have previously encountered, and its catchphrase is, See the person, not the label. What we are seeking to do with this podcast is introduce you to the people of Igniting Change and the people we work alongside. Our guest today is Bernie Shakeshaft, the Foundation Chief Executive Officer of Backtrack. Bernie, you've been quoted as saying wild boys and wild dogs are the two things you do best. Can you put some meat on those bones for me?
1: I spent a lot of time in the Northern Territory as a young fellow. I was so lucky to hang around with some old men in Tennant Creek, Warramunga mob, and I spent a lot of time in the bush with those guys. How? Um, How did
0: you come to be in the bush with those guys?
1: Um, boy, went back to the Northern Territory after being a young ringer up there on the stations. Tennant Creek was where we went back to. How um, young were you? 21, 22. I uh, had just had my first child, so kicked off pretty early. And Tennant Creek's where we went back to. Uh, good work, good money. Uh, so I worked on a drilling rig for a little while. What's this got to do with dogs? Not much. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll doesn't it doesn't have there. to
0: be to do with dogs. It's about, I guess, it's about where you where you started out. I mean, how does how does a guy end up working with wild boys and wild
1: dogs? So these two old men. Uh, I got a job working for Anyaningi Congress, the Aboriginal Controlled Health Centre. Part of the job was to go out with these two old men into the bush. They used to make boomerangs and clapping sticks and all sorts of things. My job was to carry the chainsaw, take them back to the ute. And the first day that I went out, we were surrounded by this pack of dogs, wild dingoes. So I was kind of hiding behind these guys, then went out with them again the next day, but a completely different direction, 50 kilometres the other direction. Guess what? Same dogs show up. Well, I didn't know they were the same dogs, but I was highly curious at this stage, you know.
0: And a little bit scared, I trust. And
1: scared, yeah. yeah. I was holding behind these guys going, boy, and, you know, dingoes, they're just showing up here. By the time I'd had five or six days of that, I was starting to really pay attention to the dogs. They're definitely the same dogs. And the question just kept coming up. These guys didn't speak English, so it was hard to get a translation. But my question was, how do those dogs know where those old men are going to be tomorrow they certainly didn't send him any text message <laughs> um but they kept showing up so the guy So they that, wanted food no nothing to do with food oh. just hanging around with us, like um like our farm dogs do if you're out fencing lying around in the shade they just were just the there company. with them company so when the guy that got me the job who was my age came back by this stage i was just a million questions white fell away you know mm. but uh, i said how do those dogs know where the old men are going to be and they kind of laugh at you like duh um But he took me through this process and showed me what those old men were doing. So they look at the tracks of what was going on yesterday, what was the dog doing yesterday. They spend about 10% of the time doing that. Then 10% of the time of where the dogs are today and what they're doing. uh, The majority of the work is 80% out in front. Now whether you want to call that visioning or seeing things or whatever, but uh, it's what they do. Everything's out in front. Uh, I went on to have a very successful career as a trapper in the Northern Territory for uh, Parks and Wildlife, Mm. in research, so putting radio, tracking collars on animals, all that sort of business, and got pretty good uh, with the dogs, with the stuff that they show you. And then about five years ago, I sat bolt upright in bed and went, oh my God, those old men weren't teaching me how to catch wild dogs, they were teaching me how to catch wild kids. Um, And now
0: tell me how, how you came to that conclusion.
1: I guess we've always been a bit different with what we do. When a young person comes into our organisation, we don't spend too much time unravelling the past. Uh, A lot of organisations do that Mm. uh, through counsellors, and we have to fix this and that. Mm, And I thought, we just never do that, you know? And we don't spend much time in the present, otherwise, you just get bogged down in all the detail, you know? The kid's kicked out of school, he's in trouble with the cops, sure. Uh, why have we been so successful? Because eighty percent, with every kid that comes through there, we're thinking out in front. Where do we want him in ten years' time? In twenty years' time? Not what job. What do we want for them? You know, to be happy, to be doing something that's meaningful. Those two things uh, just took me a while to to join the to dots, work it out. and then I went. That's so, what it is.
0: So, if we go back to how you came to the conclusion you needed to start an organisation for these, let's call them wild boys. Was it because you were a wild boy or, or was it because you had witnessed the child incarceration rate in the Northern Territory? What were the things that spurred you on?
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say planning to plan isn't a plan, but I say it is. So I never really had a plan. Uh, I worked out in those Tennant Creek days that if this working thing is going to be 70% of your waking life, you'd better be kicking down the door to do it. So when I came back to New South Wales, I got a job through TAFE working with 20 kids from uh, a local high school that they said these kids are not going to complete year 10. Can you get them work ready? So I worked with those kids for a year. Uh, Work ready, no, uh, but we kept them all alive uh, and out of jail. That was a good place to start. And then the end of the year comes, you're supposed to drop those 20 kids and start with a fresh batch. And I went, this just makes no sense at all to me. Starting a job, then let's get on and finish it. So there was a bit of a gap in the system. I met this guy at a Christmas party, didn't even know who I was talking to, just yabbing on as I always do. And I said, look, all we need to sort this problem out is a shed. Uh, About a week later, I get a phone call from this guy again, Kevin DuPay, and he said, you remember me? i kind of, yeah, what what were you talking about? He said, I've got you a shed. He'd organised a shed, uh, and away we went. So we started off as a group of volunteers, filling a gap in the system how
0: did you find the the kids
1: well we already had the kids uh, from that initial from that initial thing so we started off with seven kids that were really tough we call them the magnificent seven Uh, and we just kept going and going so we had no business plan we had no funding there was no structure around what we were doing but the kids kept showing up on the weekends to the shed so we kept showing up as well Uh, that was 13 years ago and uh, you know we've had a lot of kids through that shed
0: wow so how do you keep a thing like that going i mean it's it's one thing to give the instruction and to to do all that stuff how do you keep wearing clothes and eating
1: well i get paid to do it uh you know we're a pretty big organization now we just keep filling gaps in the system you know if a kid doesn't have somewhere safe to sleep that's how we started our residential then we need to find somewhere uh and and i guess Everything that we've done has been around that model. We start doing it, if it's the right thing to do, and it's a gap in the system, we start doing it. We worry about how we fund it or sustain it as we go along.
0: Who funnels the kids through to you now?
1: People call that referrals or whatever. We don't get many of the kids come in. Grandmas bring them in. Everyone knows who we are, so they just drift in. You know, The school sends kids, the police refer kids, the magistrate likes to refer them as well, mm-hmm. but it's not how you get into backtracking They've got to want to be there, uh, and, and that's where we start from.
0: Is Armidale... I don't know much about the area. Is it a tough place for, for kids to grow up?
1: I don't think it's any tougher than anywhere else. You know, it's a big university town, population of about 24,000, halfway between Sydney and Melbourne, but up in the hills, so it's pretty cold. You know, I don't think it's any tougher than any other town. Um,
0: so you don't think that if you went to anywhere else around Australia that you'd have any trouble filling the quota of kids to go through the program?
1: Absolutely not. We've already um, helping other communities get started out in Dubbo, Lake Kijelago, uh Broken Hill, down in Grafton. The kids come. We've got what they want. Um, but
0: is that just you?
1: No, so I'm not in Broken Hill or in Dubbo <laughs> or in Lake Cajelago, but what we've found as we mentor other communities is there's two things that we look for. One is a driver on the ground with a passion who's going to show up to work whether they get paid or not. They just keep showing up. Uh, but we're also looking for someone at the top end of town. It might be a commander of police, or the mayor, or the director of education. But it has to Something be someone that can make things happen. Mm. When you get those two things together, and I believe that there's burnies in every town. You know, people always say oh, it's because you're there, and I say it's not. It's because of the way we do business.
0: It wasn't always about dogs. And it's not primarily about dogs now, but the dogs are the thing, I suppose, that people... That's how we got the crime rates
1: down. Look, yeah, Yeah. I mean, you know, I've always been around dogs, always had them, loved them, and that's why I do it. I'm as passionate about dogs as I am about kids. makes good sense to start a business um, doing something you're passionate about, so... You know, we keep about 30 dogs at the moment, from Great Danes down to Border Collies, but they're involved in every aspect of what we do.
0: Well, tell me about Paws Up.
1: So Paws Up, again, came from that, those early TAFE days. We were trying everything to uh, get somewhere with these kids and we are failing pretty miserably. Uh, and then one day I just bought these pups in, had a bunch of feral pups at home, uh, had a bunch of feral kids at everyone's
0: got a, Everyone's got a bunch of feral <laughs> pups at home, haven't they, in the backyard? <laughs>
1: So I tipped them out on the lawn and while I was in a bit of strife because I hadn't got permission and done the safety checks and whatever, I was looking out over the boss's shoulder at these kids and it was the first time I saw these wild busted kids sitting with these little black and white pups and that was the most surreal and gentle thing that I'd ever seen and I just went, well, that's what we're doing, we're going to work with dogs. Uh, and we have ever since. And
0: what are you doing specifically?
1: There's these numbers that say 20% of the kids will do 80% of the damage in any town. We know that they do it on Friday and a Saturday night. Uh, that seems to be the, the hot spots. So they go out what, drinking and... Drinking and fighting and breaking into things smashing and stuff. smashing stuff mm-hmm. themselves and other people's stuff. And mm-hmm. So we found this sport, it's called working dog high jumps, where dogs just jump up a wall or two gets the highest up the wall. So we took these kids and we won uh, the first show that we went to. Uh, And then these kids just kept stacking up. And then we got a bit, you wouldn't say professional about it, but we... Cocky? Cocky. We trained for it. Uh, So we had a really good dog trainer in town that used to run the pound. He'd been a professional dog trainer most of his life, Phil Evans. And um, he started working with the boys and teaching them about the psychology of the dog and how to get the best out of them. And the boys were just wrapped in it so we just started traveling wherever there was a dog show and they're always on weekends friday and saturday nights swags dogs kept them off the streets mm. what we found pretty quickly was we were only spending a tiny amount of time in court uh, because these kids weren't in trouble on those friday and saturday nights
0: brilliant what a concept mm. so is the pause up program something that can travel as well to other parts of australia
1: I think you have to do what you're passionate about. People go, oh, we don't have dogs. It's not about the dogs. It's about finding an activity that's meaningful. If I lived at the beach in Sydney, we'd be doing surfing or fishing or something, you know. So, you know, the dogs are my passion, but we've got them in all aspects. You know, we've got a program called Barking Books where a youth worker takes the dogs into, uh, into a school and sits down with kids who just won't have a go at reading, and they read to a dog. Oh,
0: that's Fantastic.
1: Yeah. I love that idea. It's pretty cute, yeah. and it works. And it works. You know?
0: Do you keep in touch with the kids who've been through the programs like in previous years, like that, that, that Magnificent Seven, for instance? Mm-hmm. Do you still keep in touch with any of those guys?
1: Uh, one of the Magnificent Sevens, one of our best youth workers. That's great. Um, so we see him, yeah, know them all. Another one's got a welding business, but know who they all are. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't actively keep following them up, but if they need a hand, uh, they'll, you know, call you. they'll call us. Uh, and they often pull up and drop in, and but there's been hundreds and hundreds of them, so it's um, one out, another one in.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and girls don't miss out either?
1: No, so we've had a few goes with the girls. It's a little bit difficult, again, back to my Territory days. Uh, the way they work with boys is they're with the men, so that's kind of where we started off and it was mostly blokes. Mm. Every time there's been a really good woman in our organisation, girls start coming in. So, at the moment, it's probably the strongest it's ever been. Um, We kept it as a boys thing for a long time. Now, it's kind of co-ed.
0: Now, you kind of dodged the question about whether you were a wild boy when you were younger. Absolutely. I figure that you probably were.
1: Yeah. Oh, look, you know, um, school wasn't the place for me, and I think it's why I have the empathy and understanding uh, for these kids. You know, I was dyslexic. Reading and writing was never going to be my thing. I guess I learnt that business of... It's way safer to be seen bad than to be seen dumb wasn't wasn't easy Mm. Um, but you know I came from a very loving family was looked after Uh, most of my brothers and sisters were pretty academic I was just the one that wasn't academic I was always bringing home busted dogs or pigeons or that was my thing you know
0: yeah I think there are a lot of people who don't fit into mainstream schooling more and more. Yep. And well, I tend to think that we, we need to do a, a big overhaul of our education system starting from the ground up.
1: Couldn't agree more. Mm. I guess if you look at, for example, transport, what it was like 150 years ago to what it is today, or if you look at technology, you know, from 150 years ago to what it is today. Everything's if you look changed. At education to what it was hasn't changed much. No. Uh, it's still, you know, sure there might be computers mm. and stuff, but it's sit down, this is what you're learning, this is the way you'll learn it. Everyone gets the same and it doesn't work.
0: What do you think the key source of the discontent in in young people is at
1: the moment? That's a a massive question. Uh, What is it? I think the lack of caring, you know. I love that old African saying, a village to raise a child. I think we've got so selfish in our own little things that you just worry about you and what you're doing. There are lots of aspects, you know, many of the young people that we work with come from broken families or single parent families or under the care of the minister. Uh, If you're not good at school, we still don't have alternatives, so they leave. Uh, I think we're just a bit slow as big people in creating the right opportunities for for young people today.
0: How do you feel about Australia now? Do you think it's still the lucky country?
1: It's lucky for some and, and it's terribly unlucky for others, you know. We haven't really moved forward with Indigenous people. We look at those issues, you know, uh, and we're not an Indigenous program, but about 85% of the kids are, uh, and it works for them, you know. If you're disadvantaged, look at the number of homeless people, you know, we're incarcerating young people at record levels. Mm. I think we've, as a world, not just Australia, we've got this whole doom and gloom thing going on, you know, the environment's busted, but, you know, and I think Australia's a long way behind in, in some of those things. What gives you hope? Seeing those kids when I, you know, how's this for a business evaluation? Uh, the way I work out whether my business is working is I drive in and I look into the faces of those kids. That uh, tells me how we're tracking. And if there are no faces to look in, uh, into, then we're not tracking very well.
0: What do you do when Bernie's not feeling great, when Bernie's not tracking well?
1: Kick around with the dogs, horses, dogs. It's a tough business, you know, but I track along pretty well most of the time.
0: Have there been many kids who, who've just not come through? Uh,
1: the ones that have died. Um, you know, look, at, it's heartbreaking when you watch a kid going to jail for the fourth time or something, but we hang in and part of the beauty of our programs are they're long-term. We're not going away. Uh it would be less than 10% that it doesn't work for.
0: So what keeps you awake at night?
1: Look, it used to be things like funding, uh, now I don't even worry about it uh, if it's not there it's not there we're going to keep doing it anyway uh, there's not much that keeps me awake really uh, when's the next litter of pups coming <laughs> that'll wake me up uh, we're just staying out in front that 80% out in front
0: to get funding initially what did you have to
1: do beg borrow I'm not going to say steal look I think if you start doing something and it's for the right reason people will back you people are pretty generous you know Mm. Uh, and they like what we do. They might not want to have to come and do it hanging around a cold shed with a bunch of uh, tear away <laughs> kids, yeah. um, but they're happy to back it. Uh, and, you know, we've just kept building on that. Um, we won't take funds from people that aren't like minded as well. You mm. know, it's easy now, I guess, to um, become a bit moralistic about that. Uh, whereas the old days, no, we, we didn't. There's mm. lots of industries we just won't touch for money.
0: When did Igniting Change become involved?
1: See, I've known Jane for four years or something, about four years ago, I reckon. And Jane's, you know, one of those people that I I look up to and go, here's someone doing the right thing for the right reason. You can't hang around people like that and not have some of that rub off.
0: Tell me about how you went about organising some funding through Igniting Change.
1: What I love about Igniting Change is, is the way they don't just sit in the norm because that's what everybody else does, you know. We we're busting. Uh, we needed a new vehicle. Uh, it's really hard to find um, foundations or to get grants that'll buy a motor car. I had a chat with Jane because Jane's our go-to when I can't find any other solution anywhere. When we've run out of options, um, then I go to Jane. Told her what the the drama was, and she said, "Well, send me a video. Tell me what you're uh, talking about." So we collected up the kids and made this short little 30-second video looking at our old car, got the kids to explain what it is, the importance of it being picked up in the morning, travelling away with the dogs on weekends, sent that back and uh, we had a check for a new motor car. And then the report uh, sent us another video, which is fantastic. It's just, uh, you know, we don't have to spend hours writing submissions and uh, jumping through hoops. Leave the dogs to do that. Leave the dogs to do that.
0: I ask everybody who does the podcast, Bernie, what's the one thing Igniting Change
1: has taught you? Stay outside the square. If you're outside the square and it's working, don't worry about what other people are doing with the fancy language or the, you know, do what you're doing if it's the right thing to do and don't let anyone tell you you can't get there.
0: That's it for this Igniting Change podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to press subscribe to ensure you don't miss future episodes. Thanks for listening and remember, see the person, not the label.